Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. All right, I want to open today with this poem. By gracious powers, so wonderfully sheltered, and confidently waiting, come what may. We know that God is with us night and morning, and never fails to greet us each new day. Yet, is this heart by its old foe tormented? Still evil days bring burdens hard to bear. Oh, give our frightened souls the sure salvation, for which, O oh Lord, you taught us to prepare. And when this cup you give is filled to brimming with bitter suffering, hard to understand, we take it thankfully and without trembling out of so good and so beloved a hand. Yet when again in this same world you give us the joy we had, the brightness of your sun, we shall remember all the days we lived through and our whole life shall then be yours alone. These are the words from a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, written in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany right before he died. And over the last couple of years, I've become just fascinated with this historical figure, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, to, to read about what it was like to follow Jesus, to be a pastor in the midst of uh, the Holocaust. Absolutely fascinating. And I wanted to open up with this poem because today we're talking about a pretty challenging topic, one on suffering. And the old adage goes that poetry has a way of communicating something even before it's understood. Poetry can communicate even before it's understood. And the question that we're wrestling with today is something that, I'm going to be honest, I don't really understand. And we're in a series right now called Rooted what we believe and why it matters. And we're kind of wrestling with these big questions about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so the first week we looked at the question, who is God? Another real easy question, nicely packaged in a 20-minute sermon, right? <laughs> so I gave that to Tom Hagedon to handle. Um, last week we talked about how does God speak to us? And hopefully we were able to spend last week kind of reflecting and listening to the voice of God in our life. Today the question is this, where is God in the midst of suffering? Really challenging question. Where is God in the midst of suffering? And I have to say it's a really challenging question for me because in my 33 years here on earth, I haven't really suffered. Not suffered in a way that has allowed me to have kind of like this keen insight to what God is up to in the midst of suffering. So even as I talk about this topic, uh, I, I, I feel a little bit like uh, Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting when he's sitting on that bench in that New England park and Robin Williams talking to him and Matt Damon's kind of this, you know, this smart guy in that movie, but he's also kind of a know-it-all. And so they're talking about this, this beautiful painting of this, pic, 
this, this ship that's out on the sea in a storm, and you know, Robin Williams is looking at Matt Damon, and he's like, you can tell me all about this picture, the impressionist artist, you can tell me about what they were trying to convey. He said, but you can't tell me what it's like to be on the ocean in the midst of a storm. And he tells Matt Damon, you know, you could talk about relationships and love and have it all figured out, but you've never actually been in love or loved somebody. And what Robin Williams is conveying here to Matt Damon is there's knowledge about the world and then there's wisdom from living in the world. There's wisdom that comes from experiencing the world. And so even as I talk about this idea of suffering, you know, like for me, my fantasy football team lost last week. That's pretty bad, you know. Um, and, I, and I have gone through difficult, challenging circumstances in my life. But the suffering... Uh, that some people go through, I don't have insight into. I can only listen, I can only uh, convey uh, what, what I've experienced from other people. And so that's kind of like a disclaimer, even as we talk about suffering. I've been around people who've suffered. I've been close to others who've suffered. But as a pastor, there's, you know, life is challenging, but the kind of suffering that we're talking about uh, is something that I'm wrestling with to understand. And this question, where is God in the midst of suffering? Is there wisdom to answering this question? I'd say that suffering is kind of central to, a a central theme in scripture for God's people. If we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we find is that God's people suffer greatly. And it has, scripture has a lot to say about suffering. If we look into the Old Testament, we look to the wisdom books. If we're talking about wisdom, we come across the wisdom literature. Here we have the book of Proverbs, a book about wisdom. As you read Proverbs, what you find is, uh, as it talks about suffering, uh, it gives us a little bit of insight. And we're we're, uh, discipled into believing that if we, we act a certain way and we do certain things right and we live by wisdom, your life, for the most part, is going to work out for us. We reap what we sow. There's a, there's a conventional wisdom about how this world works and how God works in the world. And suffering, like oftentimes in Proverbs we see, belongs to those uh, who are corrupt or evil. And there's this conventional wisdom about suffering, and we lean into that. We, we tune into what the Proverbs are telling us about the world around us, how we interact with the world. And then there's another book about wisdom called Job. And Job is interesting because this is a man who's lived his life by the Proverbs. He's done everything right. He's done everything that he's supposed to do. And yet calamity still comes. If Proverbs teaches us about how the world works and you reap what you sow, Job teaches us about this world where bad things happen even to good people. There's this conventional wisdom in the Proverbs that we lean into, but then there's also this wisdom in Job where we learn that there are some things in this world that are just outside of our understanding. And as you kind of read through the story of Job, when the ancients are trying to understand this question of where is God in the midst of suffering, they also turn to poetry. In the book of Job, you, you have the story of this man who is righteous, and he's obedient to God, and he's in relationship with God. And in the story, you have this, the evil one, Satan shows up and 
kind of surveys the land and they start this conversation and he, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan looks at Job and says, well, of course he follows you, God. He has everything. Everything that he does prospers. Everything that he touches flourishes. His life is great. Remove all of these things in life and he'll turn from you. And it starts this interesting story and dialogue where God allows bad things to happen to this good person. We find that Job loses his family. He loses his business, the things that his economy is built on. He loses his health. It's this terribly tragic story. And in this story, as the poem tells it, Job has friends who come to give him answers about why he's suffering. And there's this dialogue that takes place between Job and his friends. And his friends are very religious. And they've got answers of why he's suffering. And his friends kind of buy into what I would call the myth of suffering. They would say to Job, well, you must have done something wrong. Like God's obviously punishing you because all of this has fallen apart. This kind of stuff doesn't happen to good people. So something you've done must have ticked ticked God off. And Job fights and says, no, there's nothing that I've done. There's nothing that I have done that is wrong. So the second thing they come and say, well, if you've done nothing wrong, then you might as well just curse God and die. Because who is a God that would allow this to happen? The response is trying to have answers for the calamity that hits Job. But two convictions that we find in Job, as Job interacts with God, Two convictions that he has throughout this book that the poem is telling us is that Job has a strong conviction that he doesn't deserve the suffering that he's going through. He doesn't deserve the tragedy in his life. But he also has this conviction that God still deserves his loyalty in the midst of suffering. Job holds out when his friends are telling him that he's done something wrong. He says, there's nothing I've done to deserve this. And I don't know what is going on in the cosmos. I don't know what God is up to. But I know that I don't deserve this. And at the same time, I know that God deserves my loyalty. Get to the end of the story, and God speaks to Job's friends, and he tells them, these answers that you've given him for the suffering doesn't resolve anything. And in fact, the answers that you've given for the suffering actually is damaging. And like what Job has done is better. There's this wisdom of understanding that bad things, when they happen to good people, we don't have these nice, neat, religious answers to why it's happening. The answers are conveyed through this poetry, through this story in Job. We find out that there's this whole other thing going on. There's this eternal perspective. There's this eternal picture that's taking place that limited Job can't understand. As we read through this story on Job and we ask this question, where is God in the midst of suffering? What we find is that Job allows us to suffer well. Job tells us that in this world we're going to have trouble. In the book of Job we find a man who has done nothing wrong and he's still suffering. The uh, pastor and author Tim Keller uh, has this to say in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it goes along with the story of Job. It says, no matter what precautions we take, 
No matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy and wealthy and comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. He's from New York City, and you could just feel that, you know, the New York City optimism, like, right, coming through there. Yeah, something will inevitably ruin it. The truth is all of us are going to suffer at some point. All of us are going to have things in our life that we can't explain that happen to us, that hit us. It could be health. It could be relationships. It could be our jobs. It could be loss of a job. It could be acts of God that just are unexplainable. All of us at some point suffer. And the question is, where is God in the midst of the suffering? So we read through Job, what we find is that Job uh, engages in his suffering. He engages with God. He engages in dialogue with God. It's this guide to teach us how to suffer well. What I found in, uh, in my life, and I think this is probably a characteristic of many Christians, is as we approach suffering with kind of like this escapist, uh, almost like an escapist theology. Like we... We, we try to kind of like remove ourselves from the suffering. And, and one of the methods that we use is what I would call like the Pollyanna method. It's like we're, we're almost afraid to show that we're not okay. We have this image that we're trying to uphold, especially as like a follower of Jesus. Like we, we can't allow others to know like our, our brokenness or that we're really in pain. And so we have this kind of Pollyanna, everything's okay, everything's going to be fine attitude. And that's okay for a time. But the problem with this Pollyanna attitude is that it's a functional denial of the reality of our situation. The reality that there's evil, the reality that there's pain, the reality that there's brokenness in our world. And we can't just put on uh, what I would call the artificial smile if we want to get better. Truly suffering. And I think sometimes it's, we, we, we have this moment where, like, we're, as, as followers of Jesus, that we feel like it's not okay to let people know that we're suffering, to let our guard down, to say, what we're going through is we're actually not doing well right now. We need help. The Pollyanna method. The second method is kind of the opposite, it's the Stoic method. Maybe this is something more that I, I lean into. The, the Stoic method, the Stoics, decide, you know, the, the philosophy of the Stoics was to basically remove yourself emotionally from circumstances of this world. They wanted emotional freedom so that when you would go through difficult circumstances, you wouldn't feel anything because for them, that was true freedom. And it's this detachment from my emotions and what I'm going through. If the Pollyanna method is the artificial smile, the Stoic method is the stiff upper lip. We're just going to make it. We'll be okay. In my life, I find that I detach myself from the reality of my suffering. And it's almost like two separate masks I wear, either the artificial smile or the stiff upper lip. Here we have Job who suffers. He's done nothing wrong. And he's experienced great tragedy in his life. 
I think one of the things that we need to understand when it comes to suffering is it's okay to suffer and it's okay to get help. And one of the things that we see throughout scripture is the fact that Jesus suffers. And we think of, if Job is, you know, this righteous man who's done nothing wrong, we think of the life of Jesus, the son of God, who suffers on the cross. Jesus suffers. And in fact, in Matthew 24, 46, as he's on the cross, he's suffering so greatly that he actually cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is great suffering from Jesus. As I mentioned, I haven't really suffered much in my life. I've gone through difficult times. But I've been around others who have suffered greatly. I think one of the hardest things I've gone through in my life uh, was three or four years ago uh, when my son had salmonella typhi. Some of you know this story. I've, I've shared with it before. But our son Micah somehow got salmonella poisoning. And uh, we weren't sure what it was. We thought, you know, maybe he just is sick. He's got a stomach bug. And he ended up being so sick that we had to take him to the hospital. He was in the hospital for four days as they ran tests on him, trying to figure out what was going on. And if you know uh, what salmonella typhi does to a body, imagine what it does to a three-year-old. Completely exhausted Micah. Just... Uh, Became dehydrated, couldn't keep anything down. It was coming out, stuff was coming out both ends. Um, pretty terrible to see. I remember in the moment, one moment in the hospital, we were there for a couple nights. You just want answers. And you think with all of our like modern medical technology, why can they not tell us what our son has as he's suffering? And I remember holding him one night thinking in my mind, God, why are you letting my son go through this? Why are you letting Micah, as a three-year-old, go through so much pain? One of the darkest moments in my life. Just completely feel separated from God. In the midst of suffering, where is he? And I remember thinking those words, why is my son suffering? And something happened to me in that moment. I remember in the hospital room, as I repeated those words. It was like I, I heard the echo of something else. And when I thought of the fact that Jesus suffered, and when I thought of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who suffers on the cross, the story of God's suffering becomes very real to me. And I used to think, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, came down to earth, and he walked this earth, and he went to death on the cross so that he could understand, like, what we were going through, so that we could say, we have a Savior who knows what we're going through when we suffer who's experienced everything that we experience. But I remember that night in the hospital room thinking those words, why is my son suffering? But all of a sudden, something in my mind flipped. It wasn't about God understanding what I'm going through. And that suffering that night, I started to understand what God went through as he suffered for us. It was like this, everything got flipped upside down. And I thought about this God who loves the world so much that he was willing to suffer the cross. And all of our pain, brokenness, disease, all of the things that cause us grief 
all the things that cause brokenness and suffering. God absorbs that on the cross in his son, Jesus. And he brings healing and restoration and new life. But he suffers to bring that about. And in that moment, when I felt like we were suffering watching our son, I started to understand the implications and the power of the cross. When Jesus suffers, for me, suffering, we ask, where is God in the midst of it? God's suffering with us. We live in a world of brokenness. But as we suffer, we start to understand this God who loves us, what he goes through on the cross. Where is God in the suffering? He suffers with us. We have the suffering Savior. As Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's also turning to poetry. And he's quoting Psalm 22. And it's this lament that I think is helpful in the midst of suffering. What we find in laments is God's people crying out as they suffer. And laments have this progression where they're crying out, where they're venting, where they're mad at God, where they're asking, where is God in the midst of suffering? And then the lament takes you through this progression where then all of a sudden you're reminded of God's faithfulness and then you're given hope. Psalm 22, that Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? goes on to say, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. And in you, they trusted and were not put to shame. In the midst of our suffering, like Jesus, we lament and we cry out to God. In the midst of our suffering, we catch a glimpse of what God goes through on the cross as he suffers for the world. Suffering for Jesus is him absorbing all of the pain, all the creation that aches, all of humanity that's crying out to be healed. In our suffering, we start to understand what God goes through. Does it make suffering any easier? but it means that suffering has something redemptive about it. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What is it about suffering that allows us to become more mature and complete? How do we consider it joy when we go through suffering? Because we know that we have a God who suffered to put the world back together. In his uh, book, Creative Suffering, the Swiss physician Paul Turnier recalls his surprise upon reading an article entitled, Orphans Lead the World. As he read through this article that was released in this medical magazine, he found that there was this uh, profile of 300 of kind of like history's greatest leaders those who have done the most significant things throughout history. 
And they're trying to find like a common thread. Like what was it that all of these leaders had in common that made them so great? And they found this common thread was that they were all orphans. These great leaders throughout history, there was this common thread that many of them, most of them, were orphans. Either that their parents had died or their family situation was so dysfunctional that their, par- their parents were emotionally detached from them. And this Swiss physician's reading through this and he's like thinking, you know, I'm about to release this article about how important, like, how important having stable parents are you know, for success in life. And here we're reading about these 300 people that changed the world, and he goes through this list, and in the list it's Julius Caesar, and it's Alexander the Great, and it's George Washington, and it's Napoleon, and it's all these great leaders. And he starts to talk about this idea that all of them suffered as children. They didn't have these normal childhood. But they overcome suffering. They overcome their situation. And it actually made them Great. And he says, only rarely are we masters of events, but we are responsible for our reactions. Suffering is never beneficial in itself and must always be fought against. But what counts is the way a person reacts in the face of suffering. That is the real test of a person. And he talks about this idea of how the suffering for these people actually makes them stronger. James tells us to consider it pure joy when you're suffering. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. If we allow it, our suffering can actually help us grow in this life. And like the Swiss physician says, it's never a good thing, right? And by itself, it's never beneficial. But with this perspective that we have this God who is with us in our suffering, this God who suffers for us, this God who dies for the brokenness of this world, who goes to the grave, who conquers death and pain and rises again and invites us into this story of resurrection. That is the story of the gospel. Tim Keller goes on to say that Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound and nailed so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you, that being cast away from God. Suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond, and the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. But with resurrection, Resurrection is not just a consolation, it is restoration. We get it all back, the love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauties of this life, but in a new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. Where is God in the midst of suffering? He's with us on the cross, suffering, taking all the consequences of brokenness and absorbing them, and he's conquering suffering conquering death and sin. Today, I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're like me and you've, you've uh, gone through some hard things that feels like suffering. Maybe you've gone through great suffering. Maybe you're in the midst of 
turmoil. Maybe you know that you've done nothing wrong, and yet your circumstances are so confusing. And you're crying out with this question, where is God in the midst of this? Maybe you're lamenting, God, why have you forsaken me? Today we invite you to encounter God, a God who suffers, and a God who redeems suffering for something great. As the band's going to come back up, we're going to take some time to reflect. As we move towards communion, we want to consider this question. Where is God in the midst of suffering? Do I truly believe that he is with me? Do I truly believe that he can take this suffering and bring about new life and resurrection? We believe this is done, uh, that the suffering of the world is healed through the cross. And so each week we center our lives on something that symbolically represents this act of God. That he would come as a human, that he would break his body open, that he would pour his blood out on the cross. That he would conquer death and sin and suffering. And through that we would find new life. As we consider suffering today, we go to communion and we center our lives on this act. And we invite you to partake in the bread today that was broken for you. And to take the juice that was poured out for you. And we remember what God has done for us to bring about healing. Today, as you go to the elements, if you would like to pray with someone, we'll have some people in the back that would love to pray with you. Maybe you're going through great suffering. And you're just trying to understand where God's at in the midst of it. Maybe you've been approaching suffering with the Pollyanna method. It's time for you to just say, I need to get some help. Maybe you've been pretending like it's not happening. You've detached yourself from the pain. Maybe you've had some destructive answers from other people about why you're suffering. You need to be reminded that sometimes there's things that bad things just happen to good people. I'm not sure where you're at today, but we'd love to pray with you. And we'd love to invite you to the table and trust that God will meet you there. And start to put your life back together. Start to bring peace and healing and relief. Let me pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your love for us. And we're thankful for the fact that you know what we're going through, that you're not absent, and that you love us so much that you look out and see our brokenness. You see a world that is destructive, and you desire to do something about it, that you love us so much that you came into the world, that you sent your son, Jesus, and that he suffered for us. In our suffering, Lord, help us to understand the implications of what the cross means. Not just that you know what we're going through, Lord, but that we understand what you went through to start putting this place back together. In the midst of our suffering, Lord, let us know that there is hope, that there is wholeness, healing, 
that there is resurrection that awaits because you suffered. Lord, meet us today in the midst of pain, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of despair. And heal us, Lord. Restore us. Revive us. We ask these things in your son's name.